You awaken in a large ornate room. Each movement you make as your body starts to wake itself up echoes along the walls, the sound waves bouncing up and down off of the high ceiling. You see intricate designs lining the walls as your eyes begin to focus. The stony floor pushes on your body as it aches from the long, indeterminate slumber you have just awoken from. You look down at your legs and notice your white dress. It is lightly dirtied by dust, but the white still is ever shimmering. You adjust your blonde hair as you sit up slowly. You push off of the ground with your hands, raising your sore body to its feet. You begin to gather your faculties fully when you notice a spirit standing behind you. You are slightly startled, but quickly feel warmth from it. It seems familiar to you, as if you somehow know this spirit. I'm here to protect you, he says in a dutiful and ethereal tone. You stare on, not knowing what is about to happen next. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we spoil games and the occasional movie. I am absolutely thrilled because this week we are going to be sinking our teeth into, into Ender Lilies, an incredible Metroidvania game that somehow slipped through our grasp at the beginning of the year. It is a game that we have had a lot of thoughts on, so if you haven't heard of it or haven't gotten around to playing it, by listening to this episode, we hope that we encourage you to play this unforgettable game. But before we get into the story of Ender Lilies, we have just a few quick announcements. If this is your first time here, welcome to the show. I know that everyone in the world asks this question, but if you could please subscribe to the show, it would really help us a lot. Also, if you want more content from us after you're done with this episode, please head over to swordchomp.com where we have more podcasts for you to listen to, an article section where we write reviews and opinion pieces on gaming, a merch store that I think is incredible seeing as how it's ours, and a lot more. Lastly, if you want to help us continue to make content in the foreseeable future, the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com slash where you can find a lot of ways to keep our engines running while also getting rewarded for it. Okay, now I have the pleasure of introducing you today to the people who will be hearing who you will be hearing on this episode. First, we have the man who will be lending his massive hammer to the cause, allowing the girl in the white dress to smash her way through the abominations of the world, Mr. Josh Fowler. I mean, it's a heavy hammer. I don't, I don't know about... It's massive, Josh. Okay, okay. All right, if you say so. It's massive. You're going to do a lot of smashing with it. Just just mashing. Mashing and smashing. <laughs> You're gonna be like that uh 
that old meme of that bird. Let me smash. If there was a if there was a mod for that in this game, this would make it the greatest game ever. Every time the girl uses the hammer, she says, "Let me smash." Would that mm-hmm. would that propel that higher on your list for this year? If that was a mod. No. Okay. No. No. Like, like if you could put on like a random, like every I don't know dozen or so swings, maybe. But like, oh, okay, that's it'd be, fair. It, it'd be one of those like every swing sort of barks that would just drive you insane. I think. I I, I see your point. Like I'm the type of, those, of yeah, kind of kind of like the uh, oh, what were they, like the a lot of, a lot of like the GBA Zeldas where every single swing Link is yelling stuff. So I think they did that for a while. There, there was there was an era where Link just had a lot to say while swinging that sword. He like, discovered his voice, great, but he discovered his mm-hmm. voice. Yeah. No, I, uh, yep. I, I'm the type of person still in my 30s who would spam that shit. Like, so she said it every time to be like, "Let me smash, let me lay, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me smash." Like, I would do mm-hmm. shit like that. That would be the type of person <laughs> I was. I'd annoy myself, but. You know, you got to test your boundaries sometimes. But, Josh, I'm really happy you're here, smashing and all. Um, I'm your host for today. I will be lending my witching powers in the form of a glowing orb with a slight homing ability. And my name is Shay Layton, and I'm I'm happy to be here with you guys today. We are also joined by a wonderful and special guest. He is one of the hosts of the Hunting Pixels podcast, a good friend of ours, and a patron of Sword Chomp. All of the above, and he will be lending his spirit crow to the fight. Please welcome Bebop. Bebop, how you doing today, my friend? Uh, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, you know, it's funny. You had asked me like which spirit I enjoyed the most when we were writing the intro, and at that time, I think I had only gotten through like three or four bosses. So I was like, oh yeah, the Raven's awesome. And now that I've got all the other ones, I'm like really regretting that decision. <laughs> Because there are so many like just great spirits in this game. There are, but but yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. The the spirit crow is still really amazing. To be honest with you, I I think I used um, the spirit crow on the final boss actually. Yeah, hmm. same. Yeah, I I think I paired that with uh, uh, Garad and uh, the witch, and just kind of you know hit from a distance while the. Uh, the little projectile things were out and then got in really close with Garad and just wailed on her. Yeah. There, there are so many different ways to approach that final boss. I'm excited. Like, actually I didn't write that down as a question, but I'm going to bring it up later. Cause I'm kind of curious how each one of us approach that final boss. Cause there's so many different ways, but um, I'm really glad you're here. I'm, uh, we've been wanting to do this for a while now. So to finally make it happen is, is great is, is real good feels nice and that's what uh somebody said that's what somebody said i don't know it's a she he they somebody said it but somebody (laughs) yeah from this point on as is customary with this podcast there will be spoilers if you are concerned with getting spoiled on the game please go play it and come back to listen when you have completed it it's a shorter game unless you plan to collect every single item in the game but now Turn the lights down low, slip into something more comfortable, and sip on an exquisitely flavored beverage as we tell you a tale by the fireplace. 
The game opens with a blonde-haired girl in a white dress awakening in a broken chamber. A man wielding a sword suddenly appears, asking the girl if she remembers what has happened to the world. When she remains silent, he realizes that she has lost her memory and prompts the girl to leave the tunnels where her chamber is to see what the world has become. As she is working her way through the tunnels, she comes across a stone statue resembling the white priestesses. She also comes across abominations, to which the spirit also known as the Umbral Knight comforts her and tells her that she can use his powers to navigate the landscapes. She finds a letter addressed to Sigrid, requesting that she deliver an amulet to the white priestess that will protect her from the blighted. The letter is written by Elaine. She also finds some research on the blighted. The blight rots flesh and severs the link between mind and body, causing the host to go mad. Some of the blighted still retain their minds, but their only salvation will come from the white priestess. The blight is rumored to have come from the land of snow. Before she escapes the tunnel, she comes across Sigrid, who has been infected by the blight. She attacks the girl, but is defeated. After the girl purifies Sigrid, she witnesses a memory and her thoughts. Sigrid loved the white priestess of the fount, who is the only hope against the blight. Sigrid received a letter informing her that the priestess was unwell due to the amount of purification that she was performing, which made her feel frustrated for not being able to protect the priestess. She was protecting the white priestess, whose name is Lily, when the death rain began to fall. She placed Lily in a chamber, grabbed her weapon, and went to fight. But the blight overtook her. Her spirit lends a hand to Lily, offering her iron ball as a weapon to combat the blighted. She escapes the tunnels and sees her perish, overtaken by the blight and overrun. So there's a lot of information at the beginning of the game. The player is thrown into a world where a plague has overtaken it, overtaken it, leaving little behind that is salvageable. So Mr. Josh, I remember you mentioning that you were tepid on the game at the beginning. With the story of this game being something you have seen in other forms of media, was the familiarity with this trope what made you feel optimistically wary or were you on board with the story from the beginning? Um, at this point, I wasn't sure how deep the story was going to end up being and how much it was just going to kind of be, you know, backstory of the world and whatnot. Right, which kind is of like lore some, dumps. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, I was kind of thinking like, oh, it's they're they're doing the souls thing where they are really roundabout in telling you what's actually going on, Um, kind of given the 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 way the way you get information early on so i was kind of i was kind of thinking it was going to end up being really vague and uh soulsy in a kind of unnecessary way cuz i think that's something that not everybody doing a souls game needs to needs to steal like that I mean, it's fine if you want to do that, but like, I feel like I've seen a, so many games 
do such a similar thing. Yeah, they're they're emulating it instead of trying to kind of carve out yeah. their own niche. Um, yeah, and I was kind of worried that oh, are they are they just taking everything whole cloth? Um, like what's what's going to stand out at this point? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember you and I kind of talking about it when you and I first got into it um, back in July, and you and I are both kind of tepid on that whole lore dump thing. Um, from the beginning bebop so when you when you first booted up this game um i don't know exactly how you felt about it were you kind of tepid about the story were you optimistic for you were you on board how did you feel about it uh so i kind of felt like i do about most of the from software games where i don't necessarily I don't want to say I don't play for the story, but like when I go in to play Dark Souls, I am there for the gameplay. And so when this first like mm-hmm. started, I was like, okay, yeah, this is cool or whatever, but I really just kind of want to get to the next boss. And then mm-hmm. as it like kind of rolled along, then I became more and more interested. But like the very beginning of this game with Secret and like waking up to find uh, the umbral night all of that stuff i was just like okay whatever i i could not have cared less yeah i you know in some ways i i agree with you actually because when i first saw stuff on this game i was like ooh a metroidvania game i like those and that was kind of like my basis for interest for this game but then <laughs> i you know watched trailers and i watched some um gameplay videos on this game and just the world itself seemed fascinating um it was dark and you're playing this pseudo holy creature amidst this darkness and so i felt like there was potential there for them to kind of play around with um that concept i didn't know if it was going to be in more of a religious context or if it was going to be something just like a light versus dark, a yin and yang kind of um, scenario, but it, it intrigued me to some degree. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going into this game for the story, like you're saying, but um, the the world that they had built at at the even at the very beginning had definitely intrigued me. I think that was kind of more the the basis of interest, besides it being a Metroidvania game. But, um, Uh-oh. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, you said you were watching like, uh, trailers and gameplay videos and stuff like that. The the thing that initially drawed me in more than anything was the art style on this game. Uh, and then once, yes. once I got in the, the story, like I said, it picks up eventually. And then that is what kept me really going. Yeah. That's a really good point too. Um, the art style, when I looked at the game is, I mean, it's not like like something that's completely and wholly unique, nothing that you've ever seen, but it definitely, it's interesting. It's like you can tell there's a bit of influences from many different games. Uh, obviously, this game has been often compared to something like Hollow Knight, and I'm sure there's some ga- there are definitely some gameplay uh, similarities there. I'm sure there's some visual similarities from that to some slight degree as well. Um, I got some... Oh, what's that game? Bloodstained. Very vaguely a little bit of hint of that in this game visually as well. Um, ever so slightly. And it may be more due to like 
the dark nature like bloodstained is more of this gothic style and hollow knight is also this kind of like dark um i don't know how you describe it like if there there's specific categories you can describe it but they're they're both both of those games are kind of like these dark macabre feeling games and this game definitely kind of had that vibe at the beginning for me um so i i was excited to explore more to say the least but let's jump back into this let's jump back into the story outside of the parish lily and the spirits see the coachman bail an unmoving blighted mass lily also encounters a blighted youth and quickly purifies them to save them from further suffering the youth offers his powers in return as lily moves further from the parish bail appears willing to help her in her travels lily comes across more information armies rose against the blight but the only thing that could combat it was the prayers of the priestess and thus she was named the white priestess when the blight appeared all religions died out as people rallied rallied around the white priestess also 10 guardians are picked to protect the white priestess through grueling training she comes across another one of the guardians garrod who has been infected with the blight after his defeat he tells lily of a memory of him i'm struggling today guys sorry (laughs) after his defeat he tells lily of a memory of him fighting for the white priestess as he slowly is succumbing to the blight but his last clear memory is seeing the white priestess now grown and a small girl he swears that as long as he is sane he will protect them he wants to be purified but he doesn't want to cause the white priestess any more suffering. So we start to get more context of the world along with the priestesses. These guardians were trained to protect the white priestess from the blight, fully knowing that they themselves would eventually succumb to the blight. So Bebop, can you talk for a moment about the Shakespearean tragedy of these guardians and how integral they are to the story and gameplay? Uh... I'm really kind of glad that you said Shakespearean because I do feel like, I mean, it starts obviously with Garot, but like almost every single boss or spirit that you find in this game really has this deeply tragic like backstory to them that obviously it all takes place before the plot of the game, but they're all very like... I I mean, tragic. That's that's the word that keeps coming up in my mind. And I that I think is probably what kept me going uh, pretty significantly in the story, because each one has its own unique sort of like they almost feel like different stories and that you could kind of go and make completely different games based on each one of these like spirits. And I, that just really intrigued me. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, Josh, mm-hmm. you want to jump in there? Um, add anything to that? Um, yeah, I'm trying. Um, I'll be vague. So I don't talk about any other bosses we'll get to later. Um, the 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 whole guardian aspect uh thing is kind of i like that 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 i think was one of the things they took and tweaked well from that souls 
formula, the idea of all these bosses have a, their own story um, going on, and there's there's a reason why they're here, um, and you're fighting them sort of thing going on. Um, but then, like, in this case, having them kind of be directly connected to your story in particular um, gives it this feeling of... Uh, well, they didn't just eventually go mad because of some other thing, and now you're finding them. You're stumbling onto this unrelated story, which a lot of those are are cool. That's not to you know diminish what Souls are you know is doing with that, but they have something that is you know is going on with the the main story in this game. Um, in a lot of cases, there are there are side bosses like optional bosses and stuff that are that are more tangential. Um, but I think they do a good job of having the mainline bosses actually contribute to uh, the main story, uh, which I think is is it's it's good. It, it's good. It makes you invested, kind of um, just by virtue of it being the story you're playing through. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it was really cool that they were able to integrate these kind of tragic stories and. Because of kind of the groundwork that they lay at the beginning with um, a lot of the lore, like slowly trickling that out to the player, that when you get to these these big moments, you kind of have some familiarity with the characters you're about to be fighting, and you actually care when you defeat these mainline bosses, and you get the FMV kind of explaining their story and how it connects to everything i think that would honestly is probably one of the strongest parts of the game i think about games like neo for example and any of the dark souls games uh even sekiro to some degree you fight these bosses in there and they're really cool and they're really unique they're well crafted but they're not always connected to the story but in this one almost every boss that you come across with the exception of a few have some relevancy to the story and i just i appreciate and um respect the fact that these the developers of this game went out of their way to um create this story that connects with the gameplay so well it was more than i expected and it was one of the things that really started drawing me into the story um it was fascinating though to see how each character has this tragic story and how it just contributes to the vibe of this world decaying and dying and it feeling more and more hopeless. I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I think honestly is if if it hadn't been written in this way I don't think I would have enjoyed the game nearly as much, to be honest with you. Fighting all these bosses and them having some kind of meaning and relevancy really elevated the game for me a lot. And it put it on par for me, this aspect of it, to something like Ori. Because Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which is one of my favorite Metroidvania games to date, every boss that you fight in that game, there's a, there's a purpose. Everything you do in that game contributes to the story in such a masterful way and this game is on par with that aspect um in terms of giving everything meaning and i don't think everything always needs to have meaning 
but if someone's going to infuse meaning, I hope that they do it as expertly as this game does it. And that's just my I agree. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's jump back in. As Lily is exploring the world, she comes across a girl that looks just like her, but who has died. The Umbral Knight is familiar with the girl, but offers no information. They find a note relaying that the catacombs are off-limits, as many blighted have been sectioned off there. Possible foreshadowing? Who knows? Lily and her helper spirits enter the Coven, a place for sorcerers who occasionally help defeat the blighted. The way to the coven, and the coven itself, have also been overrun. Lily meets with the dark witch Elaine, the guardian who instructed Sigrid earlier in the game. After the defeat and purification, Lily witnesses Elaine recount when the coven was overrun. Elaine talks of how she was dedicated to her only friend Fredia, the princess of the fount. Even though the coven was lost and the blight continued to move in, Elaine continued her research in hopes that it would be useful for the future. She says that now is the time. Afterwards, the Umbral Knight tells Lily of the Ancients, who used to inhabit Land's End, but were forcefully removed. He also reveals that he is the last of the Ancient Warriors. He also awoke alone and confused by the current state of the world, but is bound by his death pact to protect her. So, as we were just talking about, one aspect of this game that I think is done well is how the lore and world building of the game are slowly trickled out in letters and text that Lily finds, giving the player more context as to what's happening and how it's related to her. So, Josh, I remember you mentioning this on the Chompcast, being unsure of how it would play out. Now that you've completed the game, can you talk for a few moments about how satisfying this style of storytelling was? Mm. Um. The kind of feel like I got into this a little bit uh, on our last thing. So, um, um, I think they do a good job of kind of treading the line between this is all just lore, and here's the story as we're gonna tell it to you you know in a straight line um and giving you enough context that just playing through the game you'll there's enough um but it's uh and i think this is i think this is good for metroidvania where you're going to be backtracking exploring trying to find all this extra stuff that you'll come across these um you know, optional bosses with their with their own stories, some of which will kind of relate to you or other characters. There are there are a lot of characters who are not completely tangential, but like have have their own kind of sub stories, like connected to how everything works. Um, it's just you know, like the characters wouldn't have interacted with each other um all of them um and it's just it's it's satisfying to like come across those um cuz a lot of times like i i know like every time i get a new ability in a metroidvania 
if I if I have any inkling of where I'm supposed to go first, I try to go everywhere else instead. Um, Same. And it's it's yeah, it's nice getting those little story nuggets instead of it just being. Oh well, here's here's a life power up or whatever during all that exploration. Um, it kind of it keeps you invested in the narrative while you're doing that exploration. Um, and I th- yeah, yeah, I think they did a really yeah. good job of of kind of making making the story fit the genre, which is yeah. not always I, um, done that well. I would agree with that. Yeah, Bebop, feel free to jump in, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, everything that you just said is, is I think, spot on. Like, one of the things that I think is cool about the way that the the findings are laid out is sometimes they will, like, preview stuff that is going to come. So, like, uh, one mm-hmm. of the first ones you find is Eileen's letter uh, right after you—I think it's right after you defeat Sigrid. And that automatically tells you that uh, eventually you're going to meet someone named Eileen. Right. But then later you'll find like, you'll, you'll beat a boss or something like that. And then uh, like uh Muriel uh, towards the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll beat her. And then after you've beaten her, you'll get the context you need for her story. And I love that it is kind of pieced out like that. And it's not like, like he said earlier, linear, you know, it's, it allows you to, I, I don't want to say it allows you to like think on each character individually. Cause that's not really what I want to say, but it, I, I feel like it allows you to go through the story and focus on separate bits at once if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Yeah. I, I have a quick question. So uh, while you guys were talking about this, one one thing that it kind of prompted in me is that because this is a Metroidvania, there's a lot of backtracking. There are a lot of areas, and sometimes you just miss items. Um, do you feel like that there's a possibility that you missed some pertinent information by missing one of the notes on the ground and do you think that is kind of detrimental to the overall story if you miss some of those Uh, and this is for anybody who wants to answer um i i think most of the notes are fairly easy to find if you find the room at all um like if if like any any the um they color code the rooms to whether you found everything in them or not. Um, so you'll kind of, you'll want to explore them until you find everything. And some of them are hidden just stupidly hard to find. And <laughs> I don't feel like, I, I don't think the notes are, are in that category. They, they all seem like, you know, bright glowing things that are fairly easy to get to. If you make any effort, um, and also a lot of them are just parked right next to a save spot. Yeah. Um to make sure that you find them. Yeah. Uh if it's if it's stuff that's more critical. More, a majority of the most important ones are yeah, right next to the save spots that you that you rest at. Some of the I wouldn't say superfluous, that's kind of a incorrect word. I would say less important notes are kind of hidden in the world as well i very well remember 
in one of the towers where you have to go into the secret area and then it kind of shoots you up with an elevator and then you have to do your little grappling thing around the side where there are spikes and there are enemies trying to attack you to go up to the top into this one area to go down and there's some hidden items in there and there's a hidden note in there on the side of the wall and it wasn't necessary to the story it was just talking it was about some of the soldiers talking about how they charged and they died essentially uh and it's yeah. not integral to the story but it's yeah, good it, for the world yeah, like building more, more of the story the of that area right yeah, exactly exactly yeah. that, and that's probably a better way to express what i was trying to express you're such a wordsmith <laughs> No, 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 nothing like that, nothing like that. Don't worry about that. Don't. Um, yeah, I I didn't feel like they were very difficult, and I just, I loved, like I said before, I'm not going to expand upon it too much. I just, I love how they rolled this out, and they kept it consistent, and Bebop, you said it really well. I like how they previewed who was to come next, and it it was kind of cool, too, because you would you would kind of build in your mind, oh, I just heard this name. Who is this going to be? What are they going to look like? What kind of abomination are they going to be? What is their what is their pertinence to this story? And actually, Muriel was one of the ones where, when I actually saw Muriel, I was very much surprised by what she looked like because I was that was not at all who I expected or envisioned in my mind. I think they did that really well. They prepared you yeah. for what was to come next. Just enough to get you interested and curious, but not enough to kind of spoil the surprise. Yeah. All right, let's jump back into the story. We have a lot to go. Lily enters the catacombs and discovers more about the history of the land. Fredia was the third white priestess. A guardian named Silva vowed to protect her, but people close to Fredia were worried due to Silva's young age. After the white princess fought off and purified the first wave of the blighted, the twin spires were erected as symbols of the realm's defense. Some time later, a plague wind blew in from the east and brought with it the wrath of the ancients manifested in blighted form. The white priestess and the knights tirelessly fought off the new army of blighted. Lily also comes across a note of Silva lamenting, how she couldn't stop the blight from infecting the knights, wishing she was strong enough to protect everyone. She wishes that she would have stopped the white priestess from her purification ritual in the weakened state, as the blight overtook the white priestess. Lily finds an infected Silva. After the battle and being purified, Silva tells Lily that she thought she discovered a way to protect Fredia from the blight, but was incorrect. She was forced to flee while others fought. She laments how she couldn't protect her sister, Sigrid, before becoming completely infected. The Umbral Knight tells her that she could run and no one would ever shame her for it. Another spirit appears, incorporeal in form, and tells Lily that she was never supposed to awaken, but is now the world's only hope. So the player at this point is given enough information to know the ending, but it still feels as if there's more to know about the story. So Bebop, at this point, did you feel mm -hmm. like you had a firm grasp of where the story was going? 
Uh, no, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, like, I kind of... Uh, I think I knew that it's a certain point that Frasia would be uh, integral to, like, the end of Lily's story, but I didn't necessarily know what that would mean, whether that would mean that, like, she's, like, a final spirit or, like, uh, you know, maybe she's the final boss or, or, you know, what have you. I didn't quite know what that would mean. Uh, and I also think that part of that came from, uh, I think I went about exploring certain areas differently than the way that the game is kind of meant to be explored. So I learned stuff mm. that I probably should have learned later earlier than I maybe should have. So it, it felt, uh, I, I didn't have any idea. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's understandable too. I mean, you, you're finding these dead priestesses on the ground as well and you're like what the hell is going on i mean that i think that's the biggest thing that kind of threw me i i had the i had a general idea of how the story was going to come to a close or at least i thought i did to, to some degree i didn't have all the finer details kind of hammered out i didn't understand why i was seeing all these dead priestesses i kind of thought this was a um the prestige kind of kind of deal maybe i don't like i didn't know exactly what was going on uh the movie the prestige by the way but i had some kind of inkling josh uh, at this point did you kind of have an idea of where the story was going um more or less um i mean obviously like there's a whole lot of weird intricacies at the end that you know like there's um you know you're not going to see until you get to the end because they do a good job of kind of partitioning off the really deep lore dive type yes. uh stuff until really near the end um but yeah like more or less i you know like okay like it's it's my turn it's it again it kind of felt souls like it's it's my turn to link the fire yeah. um um, I'm gonna have to go take this last priest's priestess's place, um, sort of a thing. Um, so I'm like, okay, like I kind of see where they're going direction wise. Like, you know, you got a um, vague sense of where it's heading, I think, at that point. But yeah, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. I think just the finer details were kind of buried, and I, I'm really appreciative of that. that they give you, you as the player, enough ability to kind of surmise where it's going to go, but not enough to know exactly how you're going to get there. You know, you may see the ending, but the journey to get there, you still need to figure out everything that's going to happen in between. So, yeah. Speaking of, let's jump back in. Lily presses on, finding another note from Fredia reflecting on finally defeating the Blighted in the Twin Spires. After navigating through the vertical mazes, Lily comes upon Ulf, one of the guardians of the Twin Spires. She defeats him, and he tells her of the story of what happened there. 
They drove the blighted out of the spires, but there was no one left to celebrate. The ones left were slowly overcome by the blight. He remembers the times that the white priestess would spend with him teaching him, as all he knew was battle. He enjoyed those tender moments together. He remembered that the white priestess loved a field of flowers. Lily heads to the flower field and sees the spirit form of the white priestess. Lily purifies the spirit and collapses. The white priestess tells Lily that the burden is not hers to bear. She will finish the job as Lily has given her the strength to do so. She implores Lily to go live her own life. Lily awakens and the Umbral Knight reveals that he is bound to stay behind to finish the job of helping the White Priestess purify the land. Lily hugs the Umbral Knight and he replies they will see each other again. So this is the easiest of the three endings to come across. Josh, why do you think that this ending was included in the game? Um... I th- I think just to give more context to stuff that you honestly won't have any context for for another half dozen hours uh at least at that point because it's borderline incomprehensible what they're trying to get across until you've got a lot more context um I mean it works ish and it kind of fits that whole um well, I finished my job and, and, and then we're done. Um, sort of a, you know, feeling like, oh, it's, it's the main quest line. You, um, and in, in, in a, like a physical sense, it's the, you followed the overground path through the city, essentially from, from one end to the other, you did the thing. Um, congratulations, but that's, you know, that's nowhere near close to all there is to it um and i i i from a just kind of like metaphorical sense of of how the mechanics and the story ties together i kind of like that it's just okay well here's here's the surface layer of things and here's the ending that you'd see just kind of just getting that surface layer. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And so, I mean, it, it, work, it works on that level as a, at the time, This that's kind of all, all you've had a chance to see, really. Hmm. Right. Bebop, how do you feel about it? Um, I kind of don't like it at all. <laughs> and I was really kind of surprised, uh, honestly, because I know uh, this is something that I think we had talked about in the Discord. Uh, this was something that I just happened to cross and had no, like... If this had been the ending to the game, I don't think that I would like this game nearly as much as I do. And it's because of everything that Josh just said. I mean, it really is like the most bland and surface level of of the endings. And I don't feel like it does... I don't think it does justice to the story that they're trying to tell. And I'm... 
I kind of don't know why they put it in the game, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I've I've been struggling to like try and think of ways to or not ways, but reasons as to why they possibly would have included this in the story. You know, I think maybe you know, when you figure out later, um I'm gonna jump a little bit ahead just for the sole purpose of being able to talk about this. When you figure out what okay. all the who all the dead priestesses that you're seeing on the ground you realize that um they're all replicas of the main priestess right and this being the last one this being the one that was never supposed to be awoken it was like a break in case break glass in case of emergency kind of thing um i think that the 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 priestess of the fount feels guilty you know that this little girl has awoken into the, just this horrible, horrible land. And by giving, by, by Lily giving her energy to the priestess of the fount, that that's enough that the priestess is like, let me, let me finish what I started. You go live your life because the priestess knows she's not going to be able to survive this. So she's saying, but you will go live your life kind of thing. And I I will say this. It I I came across the ending by accident as well when I was playing the game and I finished it and I was like this isn't it. Like th- this isn't enough and I I feel like you know maybe for some people who is pl- who are playing this game that it's difficult for them or they feel overwhelmed by how sad and um difficult the world feels and to be a part of maybe this is a way to offboard some of those people who are like you know this is enough for me i don't need to see how this world culminates you know i don't need to see how how much deeper the story goes like that's enough for me maybe that maybe that was a scenario maybe this ending was what what they planned all along i don't know who knows but um maybe there's some big deeper symbolic meaning here I'm not good at those kind of things, so I can't really glean that from this. But I'm, yeah, I agree with you, Bebop. I'm glad that yeah, this I, I, like, isn't the the final. That wasn't the final ending. Yeah, I I feel like I'm gonna come back to this once we get to the very end because there's kind of unless unless we want to go, you know, I mean, kind of like you said, but spoiling spoiling the the priestesses or clones thing. Um, because there's there is more to that ending that you don't get until the very very end is kind of um anyway that kind of makes it makes it work but still like it makes it work narratively in like in context it's still not a good ending but like you you understand what was going on with it right um yeah because it's 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 kind of the Again, the most surface level microcosm of of a character's motivations of <laughs> of of Frisch's motivations kind of in everything that's going on um <coughs> I feel like excuse me, part of that like ending could also be to motivate the player to keep going as well because you come across this ending and the priestess is like look you've done your job 
now it's my turn to like pick up the slack and you go to leave the priestess can't leave the umbral knight can't leave everybody's still kind of trapped in this world and then you get to leave and then you leave and you have this feeling of well why why am i leaving like the work here isn't done i need to finish this so everybody can get out of this you know you still have people to purify you still have this this um yeah which makes it an unsatisfying ending but also narratively you not wanting you not wanting that ending also i think it literally puts you in the exact same shoes as the character they're i'm I'm, it's it's i i don't there's so much to spoil here that i don't want to do because because like yeah there's i this ending doesn't work until the very end is is kind of my 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 stance there still okay let's circle back around to it then yeah yeah just don't let me forget to bring it back up i won't i won't um okay let's jump back into the story so we can get to that that ending all of the endings lily starts to explore other areas and hone her skills when she comes across the king of the first ages diary the king who brought his people to the land. The king promises to record what happens next. There is no coexistence. The land is split into six nations, and he governs land's end. She also finds clippings of Elaine's diaries that discuss how weather and warn that Fredia looks after performing so much purification. Fredia gave Elaine her necklace, one that was passed down and imbued with magic. The magic stone was broken after Freddia purified the blighted lord. Lily finds herself going to the other spire and encountering Knight Captain Julius. After the purification, Julius recounts how his troops slowly succumbed to the blight. He stabbed the king that he had sworn to protect, attempting to prevent further damage from the king in his attempt to seek immortality. Julius reflects him not being the king not helping the kingdom himself, pursuing his own selfish needs. Lily enters the prison and finds notes referencing the verboten domain, below everything she has encountered thus far. The notes also mention the mages have gone in and out of the verboten domain for reasons unknown. She finds Honir, the keeper of the abyss. After the purification, Honir imparts to Lily of a time that he and the white priestess descended into the abyss and found the source of the blighted. She asked him to protect Land's End from the blight. Lily and the spirits helping her now know where they must go to end this. Okay, so before we do the usual mad dash to the end, I have a quick question. A big part of this game is exploration. The player is asked to explore locations multiple times to find all of the secrets of Land's End. Bebop, do you feel like this impedes the pacing and flow of the story, or does it add to it? Uh, I I, I kind of think that it adds to it to a certain degree uh, because of, I mean, it was what Josh was saying earlier. Each of these little notes give more context to the world, and by exploring that, I, 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 well, let me backtrack for just a second. I don't think it's all only the notes i think it also is this uh what's the word that i'm searching for uh 
like environmental storytelling. Like there yes. are all of these really cool visual cues for each of the areas that you enter, like the spires or the the lead up to the castle at least you see all of these like soldiers on pikes and stuff like that and it kind of tells you exactly like what happened and by exploring that sort of world you get more context than just what the notes would have given you or just what the plot itself is giving you and i think that the exploration actually adds to the overall experience as opposed to stopping it and it it may feel like it may make the game a little disjointed, especially if you went the way that I did, where I didn't necessarily go the way that I maybe should have, and I explored areas too soon. Uh, but it still felt cohesive and felt like it was something that I was meant to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh, feel free to jump in. Um, I think it, at times, it throws off the pacing a little bit, but as far as like the overall narrative is concerned, yeah, just letting you explore gives you so much information there. I, I mean, um, the environmental storytelling, I think, is something, an amazing lesson to take from the Souls games in how, whether they give you any dialogue at all around a certain area you can look at how it's laid out and like figure out what what happened in these places um and i think they did a really good job with that even with a couple misdirections such as oh i'm heading right into the castle it's every castlevania game ever i bet i can get under the drawbridge and there's going to be some sort of sewer hey look I can get I can get under the castle and there's some sort of sewer thing going on. <laughs> um yep. but with that being more of a misdirection cuz of um again the stuff you don't find out until way later with that the forbidden area underneath the castle where all these, you know, dark magics are going on and whatnot. The, it's it's not the castle's sewer so much as it's the dark magic seeping up from underground. Um, and you kind of, you know, you're able to figure that stuff out after more context that you get from exploring other parts of the world. Um, and I think they do an excellent job of making that all just kind of naturally um, come together through explore- exploration. Yeah. Yeah, I... The only thing I'd like to add, because I think you guys summed it up pretty well, is for me, I felt like it added to it just because I was constantly finding things in the world, whether it was a note, whether it was another dead priestess body, whether it was another boss. I was constantly finding things, and if I wasn't, if I was kind of in a lull of finding stuff, I still felt like by killing these creatures, I was helping purify the land just a little bit more. You know, it was because of the environmental storytelling that, for me, my mind, my imagination was able to kind of fill in the gaps um, and think in terms of um, Lily, what she what she would be thinking during these moments. Obviously, she doesn't vocalize her thoughts, so you have to kind of fill in the gaps of what's happening on the screen. 
All right, let's do the mad dash. It is a very, very lengthy ordeal as I'm about to read here. I apologize. Um, it's going to be a few minutes. So, Lily finds more dead priestesses and learns that they were all the clones of the same person, the white priestess. These clones look at the white priestess as their mother. As Lily gets closer to the verboten domain, she finds letters from Faden talking about the mages that were tasked with investigating it. They came into contact with blighted white priestesses and gathered samples. Faden discovered that the white priestesses' bodies halted the metastasis of the blight. He then wonders if he can use this discovery to help others and return Muriel to her former state. Lily comes across a blighted Muriel and defeats her. She sees Faden having died some time ago. He tells Lily of Muriel, his assistant and the person he loved, teaching him that even though the blight changes the appearance and mind of the person, it does not affect the soul. He tried many experiments to return her to normal without success. He devised work to create the immortal knights using the blight per the king's orders. After seeing the suffering of the white priestesses in Muriel, he defied the king and attempted to end what he had created. Lily finds the Aegis Curio, and after returning the seven stone tablet fragments, returns it to its former power, allowing for the priestess to stay strong even after multiple purifications. As Lily gets close to the abyss, she comes across another umbral knight. Through memory, she sees that Farin, the one that's been with her from the beginning, lost the priestess that he was sworn to protect. Because of his deathless pact, he became the protector of the new priestess, Lily. Lily is the last member of the ancients and the only person that can free the priestess, or the, sorry, excuse me, yes, the, the princess of the fount. Lily and her guardian spirits enter the final area and come across the princess of the fount. The princess of the fount says it's too late and reveals that she is the blighted lord. After a grueling fight, Lily purifies her. The princess of the fount talks about how she felt as if she was neither alive or dead for a while. She woke on a pedestal surrounded by white priestesses who were the same ones that were meant to take on her blight. The coven voices could be heard in the background as they prepared for the rite. The white priestesses to take on the blight and die so the princess of the fount could live on to continue her work. The princess of the fount is amazed that Lily did everything by herself that she, the princess of the fount, couldn't. She is also thankful for Lily freeing everyone. Her spirit passes on, leaving Lily alone. The last shot in the game is the blight being purged from land's end, the blighted rain stopping, and the sun shining. So Josh, this is a very generic well not generic but it's very general but difficult question i think can you talk about the emotional heft of that ending um there's a lot going on at the end that kind of wants you to sit with it and kind of you know figure out what's going on um there's there's depending depending on how you play it because you can 
you can get to the ending without having like assembled everything to get the the true ending and just kind of see most of what's going on there but not have the you know all the the final pieces together um so that's that's drastically going to kind of change your your experience with it whether or not you've kind of because those those are hints that are kind of that, that's scattered throughout the world you'll kind of if you're really OCD probably find some before you even start finding the notes about what it is you're finding um towards the end um so that's it's going to your mileage will vary on that kind of depending on how you play these games um because like a lot of stuff like the you know the clones and whatnot is kind of you have time to breathe with that while figuring out other mysteries kind of getting ready for this final encounter um and i th- i think that kind of it's not like all thrown at you at the end kind of kind of the way we described it here it's 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 all end game stuff but there's there's a a lot of time to kind of grapple with each of these different things that are that are coming at you um that kind of lead up to this final fight um and i think it i think it i think it works um uh, from a this is this is kind of, I'm going to get back to the, you know, why the original ending worked after the fact thing uh, now. Um, the the Priestess of the Fount that you find at the end of the world uh, in that field um, the first time um, is essentially not even corporeal. As far as we can tell, it seems like her just her um Frisha's just will oozing out kinda in this in a similar manner to all the corruption that's oozing out from under the castle. Uh in a, in a similar way. And it's her her desire to be, okay, I'm I'm not foisting this off on anyone else. We're we're ending this now. It's it's my responsibility sort of a thing to it. Um because she's not even there. She's still under the castle, you know, trying to contain all of this. Um, and so even though they've cloned her in order to have more white priestesses to, you know, help out with a job, she still kind of sees so much of this as, as her responsibility that, you know, she's like hoping she can convince one of the clones to get away and and you know even though they're her um like you know she doesn't see them that way um which i think also kind of works on the no you're you're not, you're not going to accept that ending of course i'm not going to do that it's my responsibility i've got to go see what's going on with all this even though you don't have the context for it yet to know why of course you're not gonna be fine with that ending um because you're her clone essentially yeah um and it kind of that that's i think what makes that ending 
work for me in in the fact that you don't want it like is it it makes it a good bad ending as opposed to just kind of like a throwaway um you know just just nothing of an ending uh which is what it appears to be like whenever you first first see it yeah yeah exactly bebop um how do you feel about Um, the emotional heft of the ending um the ending of this game uh all the way through the like i i forget the area after the verboten domain but like the entire area leading up to that final boss fight was just so uh, uh exhausting i guess it would be the the best way to explain it and mm. when when you finally get to the blighted lord and you you beat it i it was one of the most like i felt like oh i can finally take a breath now sort of things and i i i feel like that really put me in the shoes of Lily in a weird kind of way where, you know, I think given everything that you have to do in this game, it feels almost insurmountable. Uh, and the fact that you're like this tiny little girl, it, it made me feel like that. And and I was really I know I messaged you through the Discord. I said I was so glad to be done with this game. I deleted it off my hard drive immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank thank Christ, that's over. But uh, but yeah, I I think that this game really puts you through the emotional ringer. And by the end, it's I exhausted is the one word that just keeps popping in my head. It, like that's how I felt. I can understand yeah. that. I mean, I. When I finished Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and Will of the Wisp, um, I was actually ready to jump back into the, those worlds again, just because of the wonder and the splendor that the world kind of evokes within the player. Not to say that it doesn't evoke, Ender Lilies doesn't evoke that, but it's such a more haunting world that when you're done with it, you are kind of just, you're you're ready for it to be done, you know? Um Especially when you get into the verboten domain, um, that area is so tough, and it's so just emotionally draining to get through all of that. The ending was really fascinating for me. I I figured the clone thing out, like I said, pretty early on, and I figured that the princess of the fountain was going to be the last person that you have to kill in the game to kind of purge everything. Everything was kind of pointing in that direction, but the reasons why for everything weren't clear. You know, you had the King who was kind of causing all of this to continue to perpetuate in the way that it did because he wanted immortal soldiers that he created a lot of these monsters these abominations and then the mad scientist character um what i just say his name i can't remember i'm spacing his name now faden i figured he was just going to be just a mad scientist but he even gets a redemption arc you know and like 
it was it was cool to see how it all panned out and shook out um i i felt this immense joy seeing the sun shine at the end of the game because i was like we need something happy we need something bright to end on because even in the in the flower field during the a ending uh the one that we were talking about earlier it's beautiful and it's bright but it also it still feels like there's something sinister and dark that um to where you haven't really finished you haven't there's no beauty in this world still so to see that shot was i think necessary at the end i was i was so pleased with that shot i i really liked the way that the story shook out i like that the umbral knights deathless pact has finally been fulfilled a lot of these spirits who died trying to protect the princess of the fount um they will get some release and relief as well and i just like the implications that it has for the future of this world because this is only one one kingdom of the other there are other kingdoms in this world who knows how those are affected when lily leaves if she leaves land's end at all who's to say that the blight isn't affecting these other kingdoms and I'm sure that there's some potential for sequels there. So I just like the implications of a lot of this stuff. So my next question is the game is not shy about wearing its influences on its sleeve. Bebop, did you find that detracting or do you think that the game does a good job of carving out its own niche within those influences? Um, so I, I really found I mean, it's very clear, right, that this is inspired by Souls and even other Metroidvanias. Uh, But I really kind of found this to be a little bit unique. Um, I don't think that it necessarily is... If if you play a lot of Metroidvanias, like I feel like this uh, is very atmospheric. It's very uh, akin to Hollow Knight in that respect. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of uh, I, I mean, obviously there's a lot of Dark Souls in here, but I feel like it's whole is greater than the sum of its parts if that makes sense so like you've got all of these influences that are very clear they're there like they're almost Mm -hmm. overt to to a degree but it the overall package it is uh overcomes the the shadow of those influences if that makes sense yeah 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 yeah, because that's what I was worried about initially is that you can see influences everywhere um, from the start of the game. And a lot of times that ends up meaning like the, the whole experience just kind of feels empty because there's there's not kind of anything on its own to hold it together. But um, yeah, I felt by the end, I felt more like, OK, they they understand so much of the the history of of you know like where these games came from that they just they were able to use a lot of it from 
different different parts of the of the uh, the genre um in interesting ways yeah yeah i um i didn't mind that a lot of those influences were there and because everything is going to be influenced by something else i mean all of my favorite games are influenced by something else and that's just how it's going to be until the end of time i didn't feel like oh man they totally took this from this game or anything like that i never felt like that i i said i would play the game i was like oh maybe it's possible that this was influenced this choice was influenced by this game but it was always a passing thought and it was always a curiosity more than it was like a pulling me out of the game I would agree that this game very much sets itself apart, I think, while still paying homage to those influences really, really well. Um, yeah. well I'm I curious. This is kind a, of... a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go for uh, it. I, I was just going to say, I think you bring up a, a point about uh, influences in general, because I don't think a lot of people get this, but like the Dark Souls games, like they are spiritual successors to other games that came before them. I, I forget what the name of them is, but um, the the design elements are, they are 3D Metroidvanias. Like at the end of the mm-hmm. day, that's what those games kind of are. I feel like at least. And like you can read all of the design from those games and games that came on the NES and the SNES and even the PS1 to a certain extent. And uh, escaping the influence or the, the shadow of your influences is something that uh, I don't feel like people get a lot of credit for it as, as devs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of, it is, there's value to making something completely different, completely, completely new. Um, and there's, there's also value to kind of like, you know, perfecting or recombining stuff that's come before. Um, and I think a, a lot of times people will kind of uh, have a preference for one or the other and kind of overlook um, games that, really you know have have a lot going on that you just you know just someone just for whatever reason is just uh unwilling to see yeah i i don't get why people get frustrated about seeing things like this just because all it ever does is make me happy and i've never been detracted so i don't get it but i mean to 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 a point, I, I I guess is where where I'll put that because like as far as the clones thing, um, there is an element and kind of this is this is what I was saying I was worried about because th- there needs to be some sort of actual creativity there to be able to take those early you know other elements from earlier games and make them into something that's worthwhile. Cause you can also just take them and, and not add anything, um, mm-hmm. which, which happens a lot. Um, I mean, that's, 
we, we end up getting stuck with games that are really, really similar because people are taking these things and not doing much new with them in a lot of cases. Um, it's just the, those fads happen. And, I mean, look, look at how many Doom clones, just straight-up Doom clones we got before people realized, oh, we can do other stuff with first person. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's it takes a while for people to kind of decide to do something new with those old ideas. Um, and I think this is a game that in, in a lot of small ways does that because it, it does feel like it, by the end, it all kind of builds together to a really impressive whole that is taking stuff from all over the genre, um, of the, you know, so many games that came before it. And it does, it, it comes out as a whole together very impressively, um, but it's it's not like you know, there's there's no sea change, like you know, no one's gonna look at this game as like, oh, that's where this completely new mechanic came from or something like that. It's just it's a really solid example of a Metroidvania because it understands so much about what makes those games great, um, from so many different perspectives. Yeah, I I mean. As I would agree, Li- like straight lifting or copycatting, yeah, that's never good. Um, but I, I definitely don't think this game does that or even comes close to either of those. But, um, my I have two more quick questions for you guys, and they're they're kind of easier questions as we kind of wind down here. Um, what were some of the the powers that you guys use or some of the guardians that you use to end the end the game bebop i know you already mentioned it a little bit at the beginning but if you kind of want to run through which ones you used again and we can kind of discuss which ones we use to wind us out of this kind of uh deeper emotional story yeah uh i mean i really kind of stuck with uh let me Hang on, let me pull up the the list of everybody here. Um, I kind of stuck with, like, the same, uh, I would say probably, like, three or four, uh, like, combinations. Like, I know that I used the the Raven a lot, and then uh, once I got Gar- uh, Garad, I, I really liked him because he was one that allowed me to stagger a lot of these bosses. Uh, and I thought that that was like very, very beneficial. Um, and I really liked, uh, I really, really, really loved the witch. Like uh, from everything from like her character design to her power, like, uh, cause it was long range, you know, everything mm-hmm. about her uh, I loved. And I, I ended up using her a lot. Um, but one that I didn't think that I would use and kind of ended up being another one that was like always in my back pocket was the archer. Uh, Mm -hmm. like the archer did mad damage if you got close enough to where all the arrows would hit. And I, I ended up falling in love with that. Yeah. Yeah. I always ran that as part of my like boss kit because you can have like two different sets and so i always had the archer on there um especially for ones because a a few of them have like phases where they're like hover or whatever over you and it makes it much easier to have every arrow hit and it's just 
ridiculous damage. I think it's I think it's one of the hardest hitting things in the game. I think um, so. Yeah. And it's and it's it's an early ability that you pick up. Just kind of that's that scales massively for for bosses. It's not it's not super useful for exploring around and doing much because it's just a big spread attack kind of over your head that it's 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 a boss killer is kind of what it ends up being um i i i also it's useful like in the, the verboten uh, the, domain the, the, the big hammers yeah yeah mm-hmm. um i feel like the homing uh main attacks were yeah. were slightly better than the archer for that Agreed. Still. They're kind of they're kind of like but, a, a a backup, you know. If you if you run yeah. out of the other attack, you have that as a backup. Yeah, but uh, anyway, I, so I used I used the hammer a ton, and then I also used, um, you you get like a parry ability that you can or charm or I don't I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's essentially like something you can have for free that gives, like, the tiniest, tiniest opening to, like, start an attack or maybe get one attack in, um, which is fine. It's good to have that around so you always have the option to parry. Um, But I liked the counter abilities. Um, Well, the counter ability. You get an extra one at the very end, but it's, like, why? Like, it shows up at the very, very end. Like, I understand that they still wanted stuff to show up, but it's... It shows up way too late, and it's also awkward because it's like a ranged AOE counter, and like, why? When's that going to come up? But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the one that's like a standard shield and just massive counterattack from it. I loved doing that because these bosses can just be parried and countered, um, and uh, I I was it was it's really satisfying to learn their timing, like all the timings of their attacks and not just, you know, know when you are able to dodge and continue your, your attacks and whatnot, but to be able to just counter one of those and do it's, it's such a massive hit that it staggers. I think almost every boss in the game, except possibly the last one. Um, and even then it was still stagger sometimes it just won't interrupt like their big big moves um and i just i i i loved that i i i that's that's the sort of i i i love i love parries in games that's that's one of my favorite things to do and they they've got a good they've got a good parry encounter in this game once they gave them to me i was i was set yeah 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 um, I used, I definitely used the witch power very much. Um, for the final boss, I used the two area, um, area gas ones. Oh uh, yeah, believe, yeah, the poison cloud things. The poison cloud and then the smoke cloud that also deals some damage as well. I used those yeah. a lot to try and deal damage to the smaller enemies that the final boss kind of puts out there, and. Instead of using the hammer like you guys did, um, I used the sword, like the uh, Umbral Knight sword, fully powered up. I also used uh, Faden, his ability, because his basically was like a shotgun. And so I'd jump up really close to um, mm-hmm. the final boss's face, and I would just shotgun blaster 
a bunch with Faden, which was uh it was fairly difficult to do that, but it was actually a lot of fun. Um it it did a lot of damage in yeah. one go. So that was kind of my strategy um with beating that final boss, but I just I love that each one of us had very different ways of beating that final boss because um there's so many different abilities that you could have there's not a right or wrong answer. You just approach it in the way that suits your style that you find that you want to run with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, really appreciated that about this game, that there's so many different ways. And, um, and two, like part of the reason why you use those powers is because of the connection that you have with them. Like you, you hear their stories um mm-hmm. you you see what's kind of happened with them in the story and you're like well i definitely want to use this person i'm connected with this person and i i, I can understand a lot of people wanting to use like gerard or ulv because their stories are particularly yeah impactful they really are so the final question i have for for both of you uh this is the final question i ask at every one of these shows um josh would you recommend this game for others to play? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I kind of with the caveat that it, it it it's it's difficult in places, and like I this I don't think this is going to change minds for you know people who aren't kind of into this sort of game. I don't feel like it's in it's not it's not an entry Metroidvania. Um, I feel like there are better Definitely spots not. to get your foot in the door. But for anyone else who kind of you know, knows what's going on, uh, absolutely. Cool. Cool, cool. Bebop. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, I think I've said this on my show. Uh, this After I beat this game, it immediately like launched into my top five of the year so far. Um, I really, really love this game. Uh I would highly recommend it. Um, the only caveat being, like Josh said, this is this game does get pretty difficult uh, in in some areas, and uh, if you're if you're not patient, it, which is fucking hysterical coming from me, uh, I am like the least patient person I know. Uh, <laughs> but if you're if you're not patient, this game will kick your ass, and. Yep. Um, yeah, ju- you should go into it knowing that, but highly, highly recommend it. Agreed. Um, yeah, hundred percent agreed with that. Um, if you're like me, who has to find every secret for a game that you love, this game is very, very difficult to do that. Um, one piece of advice is I would wait until the very end of the game if you are in an area and you just can't seem to discover the final item that you're missing there yeah. there is a power that you you get towards the very end of the game which is the reason why um you are missing some stuff and i i don't care what anyone says i would use a guide for some of those collectibles because there's absolutely zero way there, i would have found some of them there's there's one of them in particular that is literally just hey one of our testers found an exploit and we didn't remove it Here's here's a way you can chain together is it in one of the five different attacks in order to yeah it's it's not even like <laughs> Hollow Knight does a few things like that where it's like okay if you're able to shield jump on the or sword jump on this thing bounce off these spikes whatnot and get to these really crazy places this is less that than it is like 
okay, we're we're gonna find weird ways to use the hovering for certain attacks in order to kind of yep gently ease your way f- higher and higher until you can s- get to something, and it is the most specific. Yeah. combination it's, it is not mm-hmm. something you will stumble on unless you are an insane person and like i i get that like i do that stupid sort of stuff whenever i'm having fun you know breaking games that i love like okay let's let's go really mess with these systems as much as possible and, and see what we can figure out uh it is not something you're going to just stumble onto um no not at all not at all so I mean, if you're if you're into collectibles, look up guides on how to 100% this game. Um, I absolutely recommend it. I had a ton of fun. It was way better than I was expecting it to be. I'm really glad that I told Josh last month that I was gonna take the plunge. I'm really glad that both him and I did because this game is phenomenal. And um, it is a I, I officially would say it's a hidden gem of this year, even though this year's not over with. Because I know so many people who haven't even heard of this game and they need to it's it's a phenomenal game so um and that is it is people people are going to miss metroidvanias from this year because there have been a number of excellent metroidvanias so far this year Mm -hmm. um like more than we usually get there's there's been some really good stuff and this is this is up there up there on that list yeah, there have been a, there have been some. I've only played a few platforming Metroidvania style games this year, um, but I know there are a lot of them, and I, I remember seeing a lot of them at E3 as well earlier this year. So, but this game mm-hmm. is definitely one you don't want to miss. I will just say that. And uh, yep. that wraps up the show. First off, I want to say thank you to Bebop for being our awesome, wonderful guest. A uh, very patient man waiting for his turn to talk bebop where can people find you and your your content everything where can people find you um (laughs) boy uh i gotta be honest with you i have social medias for everything but i i kind of don't ever really use them so uh i'm not sure that looking for me would be the best idea for anyone but uh i do host a podcast um it's called hunting pixels and it's available on pretty much every podcast service uh and we talk about video games movies and all kinds of stuff um it's a lot of fun so go check that out uh and uh a real quick plug i am about to put out a video on youtube uh about how Arrested Development and Seinfeld, I feel, are the greatest written sitcoms of all time. Um, oh, damn. And I, <laughs> I, I am very proud of the script for this. Uh, the editing has taken me a long time, but um, check that out, because uh, I think it'll be up before this episode is. Oh, most likely. Most likely. Cool. Well, thank you for being here, man. And uh, Josh, thank you so much for being here even though you're contractually obligated. Um, (laughs) Where can, if, if you, anybody wants to talk with you about this or any other games, where, where can they find you, Josh? Uh, Best place can be Twitter. That's, that's usually where I'm either, either yelling at someone or getting banned. So uh, you can find me (laughs) at Josh underscore Fowler. Um, Easy enough. We can talk about some Ender Lilies there. Yeah. Do you have more thoughts? Yeah. 
that we didn't get to. That's right. I'm sure there's something we missed. And then I was your host, Shay. You can find me at Instagram or Twitter, or you can just message me through the Sword Chomp Instagram, because I run that shit. But um, thank you guys for being... I'm I'm having a brain lapse here. Did I say Twitter or Twitch? Because I do this all the time. You said... I'm pretty sure you said Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. I'm just making sure, because I... I have these moments. So. Uh, it's okay. Last week <laughs> when we did that age. One last week when we did the Chompcast and I kept saying the uh, Nintendo All Star Brawl instead of the Nickelodeon All Star Brawl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I caught that happen. and was like, "Shay, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. You know, being an idiot. That was the start of when I had COVID too. Like I didn't realize at that point is when I started mm, the Brig. Brain fog had set in, but you hadn't realized Dude, it it's yet. Still, it's yeah. still bad. Like, um, the people won't probably be able to hear a lot of it in this episode, but the brain fog is still very much a thing right now. Um, yeah. One of my friends, she was like, hey, you should read uh, 1984. And I was like, I can barely read social media right now. Like, the brain fog <laughs> is such a real thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't get COVID people it sucks uh this week has been one of the worst weeks of my life do not get COVID. you heard it here first i mean <laughs> hopefully not first but you heard it here that's right that's exactly right thank you so much everyone for listening uh checking out the show we hope that you enjoy this episode we will be back with another awesome episode of chomping after dark i'm not sure what we're gonna do yet Um, We have some brainstorming to do, but thank you so much and be safe out there and take care.